Welcome to the show. I'm your coach, Elizabeth Pearson, and today's guest is Dr. Kate Balistrieri, and she is a certified psychologist, sex therapist. She's the host of Get Naked with Dr. Kate. It's an incredible podcast. And she's also the founder of Modern Intimacy. And we talked about everything. I felt like I could have asked her about a million questions. And I I normally wouldn't think that, like with a sex therapist, maybe one or two, but she's just so open. And I felt like it was a really great non-judgmental, collaborative, compassionate discussion about what we as women might be going through, not only as mothers, but if you are in a relationship, what that can look like, right? What is emotional labor? Is a sleep divorce a good idea or not? It was really great. You know, I have my thoughts on it, but it was really great to talk to Dr. Kate about it. We talked about what to do if you feel like you're constantly having to quote unquote, reject your partner. I will say that the context of our conversation was mainly around a heterosexual relationship between a man and a woman, but I do think it applies to other relationships. But we even talked about like what to do if your husband is, you know, walking up and wants to like tap you on the bottom or squeeze you or do something like that when you're like in the middle of making dinner or doing dishes or something that doesn't feel very sexy. Like what's the proper response? I think that this is a great show for men to listen to. So if you're listening to this and you want your husband to have a little bit more insight, maybe on what you're feeling, I definitely suggest you share it with him. Another thing we talked about was, you know, what happens when you have kids around all of the time and they really just tank your sex life. So she gave awesome tips. I'm really excited for this episode and I hope you enjoy. Dr. Kate, I feel so lucky to have you on the show. Before we hopped on, I was just running through a handful of topics that I would love for us to cover that I think a lot of our listeners really need some insight on. But I really feel like this could be something that could be just, you know, like a five day long chat because there's so much here. So I just want to like out of the gate, tell everybody to look in the show notes for links to all of Dr. Kate's content, because there's so many amazing threads now and videos. So you can really do a deep dive. And then if you need to, you can also book a consultation with her. So thank you, Dr. Kate, for being here. Can you give me a little bit of insight into your journey? Was there like a calling to say, you know what? I really think I want to be a sexual health therapist or work with couples. What was it that put you on this journey? Yeah, well, first, thank you so much for inviting me here and for starting the conversation. I agree. We could probably talk for weeks and weeks and we wouldn't run out of things to say about sex. My journey into becoming a sex therapist was very circuitous and indirect. I started as in, in the field of mental health as a forensic psychologist working with sex offenders in prison settings. And that was an an incredible teaching time for me. I learned a tremendous amount about human behavior and about sexuality. But what I really noticed was that there was very little sex education in that context. And that to me felt both curious, but also not surprising that folks Mm -hmm. who didn't have a lot of information about sex might create a path into sex that actually was about other things, right? Like power or control or expressing resentment over vulnerability or any of the myriad reasons people perpetrate sexual violence. So when I decided to transition away from working in the prison systems and wanted to get into private practice, it was a really easy parlay for me to take this experience that I had talking about sex with clients and with patients that a lot of therapists don't really have training around or don't feel comfortable to do and and transition that into something that was really unique to this specialty of working with sex in, in private practice. So 
I became um, certified as a sex addiction therapist and then I transitioned into working in that area for a while and then really decided I wanted to go into sex therapy because while there is some overlap with uh, all of the different communities that I've worked with and trainings, what I really came to understand is that my purpose as a provider is to help people move from a place of pain or suffering in their relationship with sex to a place of thriving and pleasure and excitement, enthusiasm and empowerment. And so that arc is really the journey that I hope to take most clients on and and go with them on their own journey is really just like, how do you have fun in this space and feel really holistically alive again? I love that you said that too. Like, how do you have fun in this space? And I think to a lot of our exhausted working moms who might be listening or to some dads or guys, I think that sex feels like it could be fun and maybe it used to be fun, like before a lot of the responsibilities of becoming parents or having a really demanding profession kind of came in and made it less fun. It made it more so like, something that is a to-do, right? And like you should so that your partner is taken care of or you should do it because it's another thing that, you know, is going to like prevent him from cheating. You know, I'm speaking like specifically in like a heterosexual relationship. I think a lot of times women are told like, well, if he's not getting it from you, he's going to get it from somewhere else. So I wonder if a lot of women are feeling this pressure and it's maybe turning in more to like another thing on the to-do list versus an opportunity for them to feel in their body and have fun. Do you see that happening? It's one of the most common things that we see in our practice at Modern Intimacy. It's so common that once people become parents, the ways that our parenting responsibilities become disproportionately laden on one primary parent over the other in many cases. What I've seen and what the research shows is that there's also a disproportionate but an inverse relationship then with a desire for sex, which makes a lot of sense. If one person is bogged down doing all the domestic labor, the emotional labor for their family or for their children, they don't have a lot of energy to invigorate within and then let alone to sort of like be generative in some sort of erotic experience. So it does feel like they are emotionally touched out, physically touched out, and then their partner comes around and wants to be sexual and intimate with them. And they don't have anything left to give because there's been nothing that's been resourcing them. I so feel that, Dr. Kate. I I think that a lot of women probably (laughs) will have that resonate. So I love this idea And, you know, it's something that she's got some really amazing content, not only on her Instagram, but I'm sure elsewhere about this third shift, this emotional labor, right, of sex with a partner. So could you take us a little bit through that? I feel like we're kind of like peeking into it with what you just said, but I would love to go a little bit deeper there. Sure. I can't remember the researchers' names off the top of my head, but there are two researchers that came up with this term called the other third shift. And What it basically implies is that our first shift is our eight to five job. And that could look like going and working at an outside employer or even working for an employer at your home, or it could be being a stay-at-home parent when you are just taking care of all the things throughout the day. The second shift is that sort of like five to whatever, or the the after work, but before bedtime shift. And, And this is where a lot of parents, especially moms, get their kids dinner, bath time, bedtime. They're getting their kids ready for the next day of school. 
they're focused on what does our family need to do tomorrow and are we ready for that? They're setting their families up for success. And then this third shift rolls around. And the other third shift is this expectation that now it's their time to do the sexual labor in their relationship and service their partner. So these researchers were talking about how there's a tremendous amount of sexual emotional labor that comes into play when partners feel this expectation from their partner that, okay, now, now all the other things are done, so it's time for sex, right? And I think that there are many partners who kind of stumble into that eagerness, honestly, and with a lot of good intention. And then there's a continuum and some partners are, are very entitled and they do have this expectation around being serviced sexually. And that kind of stress just absolutely obliterates organic desire. I mean, I think I love that somebody decided to research this because I can see the fair play deck behind you. If you guys are watching this video, Eve is a trailblazer in this whole invisible work and the second shift and all of this stuff, which is the mental load that a lot of times women um, and even more so parents bring on. But even if you're just in a relationship without kids, like there is this other like a lot of times the women are picking up a lot of the domestic responsibilities, even if they just have a man in their home, <laughs> like it just happens. And so yes. this idea of this third shift so beautifully, you know, like builds on what Eve talks about in Fair Play. And I mean, I don't think I'm, you know, surprising my husband who listens to these to say like, I've felt that way. And it's never from him pressuring, it's all internal. It's like you should. Mm -hmm. And I think a lot of women you know, should all over ourselves. And we say, well, I should, right? And this idea too of like, well, if you aren't going to do it, somebody else will. You're almost inviting him to be, you know, in an adulterous external relationship. And so I would love for you to break that down a little bit too. And then, and then maybe after we have a better understanding of like, maybe how this organically comes up within us, even if that person is being amazing and not pressuring at all and asking for anything, but like, where does this come from inside of us, this feel, this need to like check that box for ourselves? Well, there's a, there, there's sort of a few places, but the overarching theme is that it comes from patriarchy, right? Patriarchy and, and heteropatriarchal gender codes do position women in a place of being in servitude to the husbands with whom they partner. And Lots of couples are a lot more modern than that, and there isn't that expectation in a crude way coming from their their husband. But it's not just husbands who convey that message or men. A lot of women learn this messaging from conversations that they overhear from the women in their mother's generation as they learned about what their mothers maybe were going through. Now that they're older and they're adults, the older women in, their in the previous generations are sharing more with them about this is what you have to do to keep your man in air quotes. But the thing is, a partner who's going to cheat is going to cheat, whether you're being sexual or not. But it is this sort of causational expectation that a lot of women are threatened with from society, from other men, from media from other women that you've got to keep your man. You always have to be working to keep your man. And there are some men, of course, who do really believe that and benefit from that. Most don't. And they don't want to be in a situation where their partner feels obliged to be sexual with them. But they also have their own desires and interests and wants and needs 
And I think there's just a, a big chasm between how women have taken on so much and they are so capable and such badasses, honestly. And then we've got men who take on different things, but there's still a big chasm between how to cultivate intimacy and how to stay connected and how to look at things like equity in the emotional labor and domestic labor in a modern partnership. Because, you know, I think that women were given the opportunity, I don't want to say given the opportunity, with the third wave of feminism, women stepped into all of the space that opened up for them to get jobs, go to school and do the things. And I think men are still in their own evolution of where, how do they become modernized? And there is a bit of a chasm in a lot of partnerships around how to make that work gracefully. So a lot of couples are just out there white knuckling it and not knowing how to communicate together gracefully and toward a solution. I think you nailed it. I think a lot of people are white knuckling it. And I think, you know, a three-year pandemic also like added a lot of pressure too. And I know for me personally, it's really hard when kids are in the house. Like it's, it's hard to feel sexy or in the mood or any of that, because to me, their needs are so much more important than mine or my husband's. And so, and, and it even goes as far as to like, even after they go to sleep, it's like, but they could wake up because kids do that. Like, I can't tell you how many times my eight-year-old has, you know, popped up 45 minutes after we put her down and we think she's dead asleep and she's not because, you know, she's got growing pains and needs some medicine or wants like a snuggle. And so it creates this environment of like, unless you're on vacation, unless you're in a hotel or unless the kids are gone, which is usually during the hours of like work when we're mm -hmm. both working you kind of almost feel backed into this corner of like, there's no opportune time. And so I think that that is something that a lot of people are struggling with too. So do you have any advice, Dr. Kate, on like, is it more just scheduling and creating that time and just going to hotels? Or is it about getting more comfortable, like interweaving sex into your day-to-day -day life that likely won't change? I think it's really a both and conversation and, and unique to each coupleship because some folks might have the benefit and the curse of both of them working at home. So that yeah. opens up lots of opportunities when maybe the kids are at school and maybe it's even a little more hot because you're supposed to be working. And so now you're going to do this fun thing and get away with it. But for people where one partner works outside of the home or both do, there, there does need to be a little bit more finesse with the schedule. And a lot of folks will start groaning when any sex therapist recommends things like scheduled sex. But Great. I, I am like a huge fan of it. I think it's really smart because, well, let me start with the critique. A lot of folks will say, but there's no spontaneity in that. And I hear that. But there wasn't spontaneity when you were dating either because you would get together, you would have the drinks or go on the dinner date. And there was this thought of, oh, we could have sex after this, right? Right. So you already had carved out that time and you were planning for some sort of time and space together. And I think you can do the same thing now when you've been together for a long time and you're partnered, just schedule time to be together and, and create anticipation. So that's yeah. one thing. The other thing to really think about is how are you cultivating emotional foreplay together? throughout the week, because the minute your last sexual experience ends is when foreplay for the next sexual experience starts. 
And that's really hard to get in the mood when all you're talking about is who's bringing the kids where and who packed the lunches and are my socks clean? And oh my gosh, I stepped on Legos. That's not hot. So how do you weave in with the practical and the logistics of life, some flirting, some sensual banter, some experiences that do evoke texture and a bit of tension? Yeah. Except I will say, like, if there's any men listening to this, when your wife's like making dinner or doing dishes, don't come up and like try to grab her or what, like, I'm that person. I am the person that you said, like, I've been touched all day. And it's not even like physically, but you know, when you're working with clients, like you're going very deep. So Mm -hmm. it can be a lot of really deep, heavy conversations all day long. And sometimes at the end, I just, I don't, I don't want to be touched. I don't even say I don't want to get hugs for my kids, but like it, I just want to create this like barrier around my body. Because it feels so depleted. So when somebody comes up and they think they're being cute by grabbing your bottom and leggings or something, it's like, oh, my God, dude, you're 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 going in the opposite direction. Like, so I think there's a fine line, right, Dr. Kate, between like, I don't want to say groping because it's not like in, you know, inappropriate, but like reading the room. One hundred percent. One of the TikToks that I made, I think it was about a year ago was about this very subject, how so many women will talk with me about how their partner's idea of initiating sex is to grope them or make like a silly sex gesture. And a lot of the men that I talk to will say things like, well, I don't want to offend her. Um, I don't want her to think I'm being predatory. I don't want her to think I just want to have sex with her and nothing else. So they sort of ease into it. A lot of men will say they don't want to get rejected, right? And that's why they're kind of like silly and sophomoric about their approach. But the thing is that feels for most women so objectifying and so disconnected because they feel then like their body and their their entire existence is just there for someone else's entertainment. And it, again, it has such an inverse relationship with desire. What most women will say is that they don't mind being touched, but they want it to be maybe on their shoulder or maybe a kiss on the back of the neck or a part of their body where their kids are not in high demand or high touch areas on their body. And that can be a bit of an entry point that doesn't feel one, sexual, and two, like it's just being touched or groped or hung on for the 500th time that day. Oh my God, I love that. I know one thing that I love is, and this could be just like sitting on the couch next to each other, like we have a sectional. And so naturally we, you know, we're tall people, we kind of like go to our, basically our own couches. And I was telling him, you know, like we should go back to the way we were, like when we had this tiny couch and we had to sit next to each other, or I would lay down and put my legs on your lap. And then he would just gently, you know, touch my legs or The other night I was laying there and he just came up behind me and just started kind of like gently stroking my head, like my scalp and my hair. And it felt so good. And to your point, it wasn't this. I don't feel like he's hoping this is going to lead to something. Right. This is just like it's just him touching to touch and showing affection through that physical touch without it feeling like if somebody's going to walk up to you and like look at your breasts or want to touch them. I think another funny meme that's been going around, too, is like guys showing up the second they think their wife might be getting undressed. And and it's like this big haha funny thing on TikTok. But like, I don't know, like and I sent it to my husband kind of laughing, kind of not right. Like, yeah, like when I say I'm going upstairs to take a shower, that's not an invitation to come watch me get undressed. 
that's not hot. Like I just want, sometimes I'll like lock my bedroom door when I'm in the shower, not because of him, it's the kids will barge in and scare the shit out of me. But, but the other piece is like, I think that, I think men are just really confused. I really do. Like, I feel bad saying like, I don't, I don't feel like being looked at right now, but women, we don't know. Maybe we had a big lunch. Maybe we're on our period. Maybe there's a million reasons. We just don't want somebody to stand there looking at our naked body. Well, and and I would I would say this is that sexual emotional labor, though, too, because you're just trying to get a moment of space and to practice some hygiene. And I really hear you unlocking the door for a lot of folks. Yes, they have kids that want their kids to barge in. But there's also something something psychological around. This is my time. Lock. Right. Like nothing can get into this bathroom. Nothing can penetrate. And then if your partner is just sort of standing there oogling you. You now have to manage their response. You have to manage their disappointment. You have to manage the rejection that is going to be inevitable if you're not feeling it in the moment. You have to do something for that person. And so this like escape to the bathroom, which is what a lot of moms, that's the only thing a lot of moms have is an escape to the bathroom for a 20 minute shower if they're lucky. And that's, that's it. That's like their space and time to recharge, to actually look at themselves to touch themselves, to examine what's happening with their body, to think about what they need. I mean, those minutes are precious. So to have a partner asking something of you in that moment and, and good, you know, most of the time, good nature, they want to connect with you and be sexual and all the things. That's great. A lot of men think they're admiring their partner and like, they're really surprised because they, they often will say things like, well, she's always so hard on herself. She's hard on her body. So I thought me looking at her would show her that she's beautiful. So I know a lot of men go into this with good intentions, but it's just such a misattunement. I think that, you know, and maybe that's more work that like we as women need to do, which it like even feels wrong saying. But I do think like that piece of like, you're so beautiful, you know, and like my husband will give me these amazing compliments, right? Oh, you're like, you know, smoking hot and all this stuff. And some days it just, it's like, nails on a chalkboard and maybe that stuff I need to like figure out. But I think when we're not feeling that way and they can tell we're not feeling that way. So then they want to come in and, you know, give the counter like perspective of like, oh my God, you are and look at you and all this stuff. But sometimes I think even that, maybe men are just screwed here, but like, I think even that too, like can also have an opposite effect. Well, let's ask about why, right? Mm. What is it, what does it require of you in those moments? Right. It does. It feels like there's some sort of reaction they're looking for or that now I need to say like, oh, my God, you are, too. Or like instead of like you don't I I actually kind of don't want to hear that right now. And like it's not maybe on a date night. okay, but just a random right morning that you're getting dressed. And then it's like, look at you. And it's like, I I don't want to engage in this. Right. Like now is not the time. Like I'm not feeling like I want to have this back and forth over like how much we do our parties. But I think it gets written off as like, well, you must have body issues if you can't receive that. Yeah. Yeah. On my podcast a couple of weeks ago, I interviewed Dr. Betty Martin, who wrote a book called The Gift of Giving and Receiving. I saw, yeah, some of those clips in that. I listened to this. Yeah, she's great. And she created this game called The Three Minute Game. And in it, she has partners ask each other, how do you want to be touched and how would you like me to touch you? Right. So it's like two, I think those are the questions, but the, the, the goal of the game is to get partners thinking about who is doing 
the activity to the other partner and who's actually receiving the gift of pleasure. And so with a lot of partners, it, you know, like you're describing, a husband might say, wow, you look really gorgeous today. I think part of why that doesn't land with a lot of women is because they may not experience it as for them, right? It's actually mm-hmm. their, their husband who's receiving the pleasure of knowing he benefited you or, or complimented you rather, or he might get your attention for a moment. And I don't think they're doing it maliciously, but that's why I think it falls flat. So do you think every couple, I think, I think I know the answer to this, but could every couple benefit from therapy and even more specifically, likely like sex therapy? Look, I'm biased. I'm a sex therapist. So I think everyone could benefit from sex therapy in some way, shape or form. But definitely I think when couples go through these plateaus in their relationship where they're out of novelty with each other and they're exhausted. They're trying really hard to create something, but they don't necessarily have the ingredients available to them to get a new spark. That's a great time to work with a sex therapist, a couple's sex therapist, and create some openness and some expansiveness in your relationship while also addressing whatever might be an impediment to desire. Yeah. Oh, I love that. I do think that. I think some people will say like, oh, we'll wait. It's not bad. Or... But I have yet to find a girlfriend who's like really fulfilled or has a great sex life with their husband. I feel like everybody has just kind of resolved to this reality of I'll do it a couple times a month, maybe once a week if I kind of like, quote unquote, have to. But it isn't anything like when I'm out with girlfriends, nobody's talking about how hot their sex life is. It's more of this obligation. Right. Mm -hmm. And it's like, I have to do this now. And there are girlfriends too that feel like they're just not attracted to their husband anymore. And maybe that's because partially like they physically let themselves go like the man has. And that's a very dicey conversation to try to get into like that actual, um, you know, feeling attracted to them. I think more so like it's not hot to see your husband ignoring his kids on his phone all day or these things. And I don't think, I don't know, like I wish the spokesperson for men out there would talk more about this because it isn't just this funny memes of like, oh yeah, unload the dishwasher, do this. It's like, it's not hot being on your phone all day. And personally for me, it's not hot hearing about how many men are addicted to online games, you know, or playing video games. It's like, this is not hot. And this is not, you know, feeling like it's creating this atmosphere of partnership and being present with each other. So I think that could be a part of it too. And that's got to be something that's come on in the last 20 or so years. It's a huge factor. I think so many men are conditioned to regulate their emotions through isolation. So they seek out activities in their home, like mowing the lawn or working on the car, things that happen in isolation. So they get this time to sort of drop back into themselves, right? Whereas most moms don't get that luxury because most moms are the default parent. And that means that they don't get to just go isolate for three hours and read a book or take a bath or mow the lawn or whatever they might want to do. That is an isolative experience. And gaming is another example of that. Can gaming be fun? Absolutely. But when a lot of men sort of like isolate into a man cave or isolate into this experience that is separate from their family, guess what? They start feeling more separate and their wives and kids feel that too. So there's this like experience of disconnect 
And then a lot of couples look at sex as the glue to bring them back together when those moments happen. But where one partner is like regulated enough and now ready to rejoin, the other partner is like, I am exhausted, right? You know, I've been doing it all and I have not had the partner I thought I would have helping me. And where have you been? Your turn. I have to go down regulate now. And it's, it just creates a lot of um, tension, I think, for partners when there are these different expectations about what it means to be in partnership, especially to raise a family. Oh my God, I love that. It's so dead on. I feel like too, like bodies are a piece of this. And I think you can see the statistics, right? Of like our country continues to battle obesity and things like that. And I think social media can have some pretty high expectations that are put into women's brain on the way that they should look. And so I was wondering if you could expand on this to this piece of once you do bear children, if you you know are blessed to be able to do that and you want to do that as a woman, I just felt different about my body. Like my breasts aren't the same. There's saggy skin on my stomach where the kid used to be, you know, like, and I just, I think that a lot of women struggle with feeling sexy. Like if I, it's, and it's not the clothes or anything like that. It can just really be that your body has changed. And therefore, like, you don't want your husband walking by and like, ooh, she's getting undressed. Let me look. And, and it can feel disingenuine when they gush over how beautiful you are, because it's like, well, you're lying. You're trying to manipulate me to get something because you couldn't possibly. But I wonder like how big of a part that plays. Cause I feel like for me personally, and I've had body image stuff for years, but I, that's a big piece of it. Like if I don't feel at all comfortable in my skin, it is almost torturous to be intimate with my partner. Yeah. I hear that a lot. Women are conditioned to be so much more aware of what's happening to their bodies and how their bodies look and how their bodies feel. So I do think that there is a tremendous amount of pressure on women to look a certain way. But I also hear from so many men who are partnered and married and they're like, I don't care about my wife's stretch marks. I think it's hot because I put that baby there. And it reminds me of all this like sexiness that we've had together and the life that we've built. But there are some men who are very critical of women's bodies and there are a lot of women who are critical of their own bodies. So I understand that that pressure and that fear and that discomfort that can also be an impediment to desire. And I think that women would, we as a collective women would do really well to find some role models of women whose bodies are imperfect, who are out in the world and that are still really smoking hot. For example, uh, did you see the show Sex Life? Yes. She was like beautiful, so stunning. And has had children and that was just a part of her character and it makes her so much more beautiful and desirable in my opinion and I think there were so many other women who felt like wow you know now her body looks exceptional for so many reasons and she may not be the benchmark to compare oneself to because, you know, who knows what her resources are around caring for her body. Yeah. But I do think it's really important to find role models of women who can embody a strong erotic attitude and embodiment um, or practice in their bodies, whose bodies have what we would label as imperfections. But Yeah. I think the imperfections are what make us super hot. And I think the more women just take on that attitude, the more the culture around it will change. Yeah. And then we won't have as much pressure. 
Yeah, no, I totally agree. Yeah. And for anybody who hasn't seen that show, Sex Life, it's very good. And season two, like she had breasts that had clearly fed children. And I was like, thank God they didn't just like hurry up and run out and try to quote unquote fix her boobs before this season. And I always give props, like as somebody who's proudly rocking like an A cup after my kids, I'm like, you know what? Like, I'm not going to quote unquote fix these. Like it is not broken. what it is exactly. Yeah. But right. I think that those are really good reminders, Dr. Kate, of like, we are the ones that are like in control. I think a lot of times of what we feed ourselves on social media, I regularly advocate people do detoxes and it's not totally get off your phone. You could be on your phone, but like really be careful on who you're following because it can seem really harmless to follow a Kardashian or something. but I think it will subconsciously seep in that it's like, oh, yeah, I'm supposed to look like that. And it's just probably never going to happen without, you know, a pretty big bank account and other resources. Right. One last thing I wanted to ask you about, and my listeners know I'm a big proponent of it. And my husband and I have had one for almost seven years. What what do you think of this trend of sleep divorces? Because just about a week ago, it came out that more so millennials than anybody, but about one in three couples are sleeping in separate rooms at night. So I would love to get your insights on this. And if you feel like this is a potential red flag for relationships, or it could be something that could potentially bring people closer, or it's just kind of a non-issue either way. I think it has the potential to create division. I think it also has the potential to create connection. We have to remember that sleep is one of the most important things in helping us stay healthy in helping our mental health stay on track, in helping us maintain a sense of connection to our bodies. Because if we don't get enough sleep, then we're more in survival mode and it's more difficult to feel embodied and sexy and present. It's more difficult to eat well and stay as fit as we want to stay. So sleep is integral. And for a lot of couples, it's really hard to sleep in the same space. Either they go to bed at wildly disparate times or one person is sawing like a chainsaw every night or snoring like a chainsaw. And yeah, one person needs a fan. The other person can't stand a fan. One person has six blankets. The other person can barely have a sheet on them. I mean, the way that we put pressure on ourselves to lie down next to each other just so that we can give this illusion of connectedness and sacrifice our sleep is really absurd. So uh, there are a lot of couples that I work with who have separate bedrooms or separate homes even. And it's a part of what allows them to stay close and connected because they don't develop the kinds of resentments or grittiness because they're not getting the sleep that they want and need to be really functional together. Yeah, I know I did an episode um, right before this one came out on it. And some of the stuff I said was like, if you're using it as an excuse to avoid your partner, then it's not for you. If you're using it or if you're sleeping in the same bedroom because you think that if you don't, maybe he'll be texting or watching porn or do something that like you wouldn't want him doing with you right next to you, then that's also like not a good reason. But if it is like for ours, it really wasn't a way to avoid each other or ignore each other. It was I go to bed literally at 830 and wake up at five. He stays up later. He saws like a chainsaw. I wake up, you know, like at the drop Mm -hmm. of a hat. And it was breeding a lot of resentment. I woke up really pissed off at this poor dude every morning. And so for us, it really worked. I think it is very taboo. I love how you said it's this illusion of connectedness. But to your point, I think it's absolutely like not right for everybody if you are just trying to get away from somebody and connect less. 
For sure. I mean, and so I love the way that you sort of painted this picture of if you're trying to keep your partner next to you because you're trying to control what they're going to do or control for what they would do, you already don't have a partnership. You're a parent to that person. Right. And already the relationship would benefit from a, a refresh and a reevaluation of how you're doing together and what needs to come out of whatever's sort of lurking in, in the crevices of it. Because it's it's really hard to stay connected if you feel so afraid of what your partner's going to do the minute you shut your eyes. Totally. I've had friends too who have said, you know, he brings his phone with him, like everywhere he goes. I lay my phone down face up on the counter and I go up to bed, you know, and I think I might know his code. He might know mine, but it's not because we need to check in. But for that reason, too, it's like, yeah, it stays down here. And it's not because we've even talked about it. It's because it's not even a thought because he wants to look at a million pictures of my kids and client emails, you know, knock yourself out. But it's not because, right, Mm -hmm. because I'm trying to keep tabs on him because if I go to bed an hour earlier, I don't know what he's going to be doing down there for an hour. Or this other thing, too, of like, if they go away on business trips, like, well, what are they really doing? Like, it can really send some women into a tailspin and men, too. Yeah. Like, if they're sleeping away from home, then what does that mean? And I'm so glad that you echoed that. Like, I think that there's some other opportunities to kind of like see what's actually the motivator there instead of this. Well, we just sleep in the same bed because that's what couples do. And if you don't, you must be cruising towards a divorce. Yeah, I, I don't, I, I agree with you and do not agree with that mantra of we have to sleep in the same bed. Otherwise it means something's wrong. And I'm really grateful that you're bringing that up and helping to normalize it because it's, it can be really healthy for some folks. Yeah, it's lovely. And guess what? You can talk to your kids about it too. We've talked to them about it. Like you guys don't like sleeping in the same room on vacation. If somebody's going to wake each other up, it's the same thing. Doesn't mean you don't love your sister. Doesn't mean mommy and daddy don't love each other. Like I think that I think some people just avoid it because there there's some insecurity inside too about the relationship already there. And mm-hmm. then if they were to do this, then it would just maybe like put it over the edge. So I love that you're supportive of that. I was worried. I, I knew that you're like, you know, your stuff, though, and you weren't going to be like, no, absolutely not. Under no circumstances <laughs> should you sleep in another room. But see, you guys, I have a credible uh, licensed sex therapist who agrees that it is a good option for some that fits certain criteria. So. Dr. Kate, thank you so much for being here today. I could ask you a gazillion other questions. So we might have to have you back on in the future, but everybody, you guys check out all of the links in the show notes to get all of Dr. Kate's content and also be sure to check out her podcast, Get Naked. Thank you so much for being with us today. Thank you. This was such a blast.